You are listening to the British Motocross Show. British Motocross Show. Welcome to the British Podcast Show. I'm uh, James Burfield. This is a new uh, podcast show that we're going to be running weekly. I'm going to invite in lots of former and current British riders, and we can talk about everything from their careers to, to what they're up to, the day-to-day week, and also their kind of thoughts and input on uh, motocross in general. This week, my guest is Tom Nil. He's only 23, so he's still quite young, so it's not really a career as in talking back and in, in talking about the last sort of 20 years. I've got to know uh, of Tom through um, some of his friends. This uh, show is brought to us by Talon, Even Strokes. Also, we've got Motoshack, DP Suspension, and Craig's Motorcycles, which are the three companies which support Tom with his racing and supported him over the last few years. Last few years, Tom? Yeah, pretty much. Well, welcome to the show. Thank you. I know that you listen to the, to the other podcasts with um, myself and um, Lewis Phillips, so it's quite nice to have somebody I can relate to as a, another rider instead of just someone who just whines and moans like Lewis. Yeah, as uh, professionals ourselves, we uh, yeah. have something in common. And obviously you've seen that now I'm affiliated with Team Green. Obviously got your first look on the Kawasaki out there. Yeah, congrats on the ride. Just going to say that is not the original tyre. That is a brand new tyre <laughs> I put on because the last two yeah, rides yeah, I completely yeah. took off every knobbly. So. Yeah, there's, there's definitely been some riding being done. But. Yeah, well, it, it happened. I, I was going so fast that the graphics fell off. <laughs> so um, maybe yeah, I should well, speak to Jim at Motoshack yeah, and uh, get something. I think we can sort that. We need to, uh... <laughs> but um, I wanted to speak to you because you're an interesting guy. Um, I know that you have, I, I, I don't know to be detrimental to, to everybody, but not typical motocross guy because you have quite an interest in uh, supercross. And not just an interest, but uh, you have a lot of stats in, uh, you're kind of a supercross nerd, so I've been told. A little bit. I've just, I study it quite a lot, obviously. Being a rider and 
grown up around it. I've watched it and I just, I don't know, I've found a love for it, I guess. And I listen to a lot of podcasts about it and everything like that. And I don't know, the knowledge seems to grow and I'm not like any other rider really. I'm sort of have a level of education that some riders don't have. <laughs> <laughs> like I've you got been, way more education yeah, than me then. <laughs> I've, I've done like the whole sixth form route and things like that. Like I have A-levels and some don't even have GCSEs. So it's like, wow. Uh, yeah, I guess, I guess it's, I don't know, I just... After school, all I did was ride bikes. All yep. I did was want to find out more and more about the sport. And I don't know, I guess it's led me here. That's cool. So let's go back to kind of, uh, you came through uh, as a youth rider. Obviously, you, you've done the usual channels of the British Youth Championship. Yeah, yeah. Started off on a 65, obviously doing the BYMX. Went from there really just year by year, gradually improved. And I sort of peaked on an 85, I think. They were my, my best <laughs> We've all years. been there, yeah, Tom. We've yeah. all been there. I struggled with the transition <laughs> onto 250s and just weird things happening. And yeah, but loved it, really. I've made a lot of friends from it and it's my life. And you've got a good group of friends around you. So obviously some of them are, are, are well-known and some of them have gone on to different things. So, to, talk a little bit about who, who yeah. your kind of circle of friends are. I've got quite like a, a variety of people. Obviously, I grew up, racing with ben watson he was gone on to do like amazing things but he's decent isn't yeah he? he's yeah. half, half decent as average yeah yeah and then being friends with ben obviously older brother nathan i was around their house and just became friends with him as well and then uh rob davison he's always been similar speed to me like we've battled through the years and then he went on to do a little bit more successful in the the adult ranks now he's retired and top suspension guy i suppose or so he thinks he moment. found his calling. Yeah, he's yeah, definitely found his calling. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's them two, and then or three, sorry, and yeah, Jake Milward. We've just again, we're all sort of different ages, but we've all sort of grown together. And is, then, is it a northern thing? I don't know. Uh, maybe, <laughs> maybe, yeah, yeah. We've uh, obviously we go to similar tracks. We see each other all the time, and yeah, and then there's the anomaly of like Jamie McCanny from the other man, like. Now he's doing Dakar and doing really well there. So it's like okay. such a variety of people, I guess, and things yeah. we're doing. And yeah, it's good. But all, everybody's got to live for bikes. Yeah. Yeah, that's all it all comes down to in the end. Just riding bikes and having fun, I guess. Is it a bit kind of weird? Um, the people I kind of grew up with, I kind of like lost contact with. And this is back in the 80s. And is it weird kind of watching your friends go on to become Grand Prix riders and then like some like British Championship riders and some riders which they don't, do anything and maybe just give up or because you're all friends but you're all at different levels yeah it's it's good it's like like i'm proud of them for what they've done i'm happy for them obviously and like i enjoy watching them but sometimes like you get frustrated when like well not frustrated but sort of you think like if only what could have been with like for like rob davison like he's now retired and it's like well you were there sort of thing like you you were like where i would like to be yeah but it just wasn't for him, I guess. And he's on to, I'd say, better things now. He's on a career that he can earn the money from and have some like a life out of. So it's good. That's cool. That's cool. And you're yeah. from kind of, not Whitby, but it, it's uh, kind of up around that. Yeah, Pickering. Near, the closest closest track is Whitby. Yeah. Like racetrack wise. So uh, north, north of the country. And there's not a lot up there. Yeah, I live in the middle of nowhere, really. <laughs> I just, uh, yeah, my dad's got like a saying that, when we go down our lane, he sort of makes the laws. So ah, right, okay. Driving cars around there and riding bikes up and down the roads. It's just the norm, really. It's You're been... not going to meet anybody? No, no. 
No, it's very often you see police, but I did ah. see one once. I was, I was 16, driving past the police car at my house. It's a bit, bit touch and go, but it was, it was yeah, all right. It's definitely an anomaly. Let, let's talk about kind of, because you're not a, a full-time rider anymore. When did that kind of happen? When did you kind of look at this and think, actually, now I need to get a, you know, a day-to-day yeah. job? In... It's more being the past year, really. I've uh, I left, left sixth form, obviously, at 18. And then at that point, I was all in. I spent the next like two, three years just trying to chase a dream, I guess, where and got lost a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it just, that was it. I, I was all in with bikes. I didn't know anything else. And I think it hurt me a bit as a person. And then I sort of took a step back maybe a year ago. And it sort of hit me that like, you don't earn any money. You do it for fun. Like you grow up riding for fun and racing for fun. So it should stay as fun. Yeah. Like we all started bikes because we enjoyed it. So we race, you well, it should race like that. And I think that's now the issue with everyone taking it so seriously we've sort of everyone's lost yeah. if you can earn money out of it then yeah like people have got their own ways whether they do the arena cross or whatever on bikes earning money but then the other ones that are like i don't know it's just there's a level yeah and i feel like i think i've found that level where i can work for my dad in the week and have like a job and then still ride and enjoy the race on the weekend yeah that's uh, interesting because what a lot of people, you know, they might, might be aware or not be aware from listening to the, the podcast shows that we do and others do that even some of the riders in, in the world championship, they're actually not earning a wage. So they're paying to be on a team. So they're paying anywhere between 30 to 60,000 um, minimum a year. They're paying for all their own travel. So the team's actually not paying for their travel. They've got to pay for their travel. Then they've got to live. So they're probably basing themselves in Belgium, which is a flat, food, everything else. So these riders are probably investing eighty to hundred thousand pounds a year to live that dream. Yeah, it's it's weird because people don't really know that it's like a, a no, like an unknown secret, I suppose. So like, yeah, like people are paying endless amounts for rides, and it's happening in the British. And like I've done it in the past. Like we've, I've paid for rides, and it's like nowhere near to the extent of what some people pay. But you see these professionals and you wonder like, oh, I wonder what they're earning. And then you find out that they're actually paying to be in that position. And it's like, well, it's like a really big reality check that I think is important. What people should know. Yeah. Because then it stops like the people going all in and then being like, okay, I've finished riding. I don't have a lot to do now. Like, where do I go from here? And that's it really. I've sort of tried to, through the years, I've had different things going on and this has sort of settled me now to be, I know where I want to be. Yeah. And I still want to ride bikes for fun because I enjoy it. And it's like an escape from everything. Which the I day-to-day feel like, life, yeah, what we yeah, all yeah. kind of work on. I think everyone should, everyone who rides knows that it's like that. Like you go out riding and you just, even if like it's a shit day at Fat Cats <laughs> in the rain and it's like, well, sometimes you can see the positive in it and it's like, yeah, at least I want to work today or at least I want doing this today or... Yeah, I just sat at the track with my friends having fun riding a bike. I think that kind of message gets lost uh, the more and more I speak to people, whether it's pros, semi-pros, very fast guys. The same sort of thing seems to happen. They forget about the love of, of actually getting on a bike and riding for fun. So we yeah. were talking just before we came on and you said that there's a track quite close to you. And those are the days where you're actually just riding a bike and, and having fun. Yeah, I'm on my own at that track sometimes and it's like well it's my sort of way of getting 
getting away from everything and riding and having fun. And it's, it's just a cool thing to do. Like everyone, you wouldn't ride bikes when you were little if you didn't want to. And that's what everyone, I feel like that's where the sport's a little bit lost. Because we see like, oh, I'm training hard. I'm training this, training that. Like, yeah, you have to train, but there's a level of training. You can only do so much before it gets too much. And they have like the ideology of people on Instagram, like all the kids in America that are riding all the time. It's like, it's different. Yeah. It, it does, it's not the same. Yeah. Like, them kids that you see on Instagram and really good, like, like your Danger Boys and Rider Di Francesco and things like that. They've got deals in place where they're actually earning so much and it's their career. Like their parents, some of their parents will be living off that money. Whereas well, it's quite the opposite here. Interestingly, I learned kind of over the winter period that there's some riders which are, we're talking, the, some of the deals are like 3 million. Yeah. 3 million for an amateur yeah. kind of deal or contract. I mean, and like, that's crazy. I, I don't, can you imagine some, some of the pros are still paying? Yeah. And yeah. amateurs in America are getting paid as much as that. I think that's just the social media age of all like the, the demographic of people looking up to them kids want to be like them kids so like they've got such a value where it's like it's a little bit backwards when you see like pros that don't have rides and they think like oh some of them make the the main event at supercross and they're there the ones like that's the pinnacle of the sport in my eyes and it's just not the same yeah. like the kids kids are earning like you said the three million and they're putting so much in and not getting anything well Interestingly, when you speak to some of the companies that are, are kind of involved in this, they don't know what, how they're going to develop on a 250. So they're kind of betting yeah. quite a I lot on, on these riders coming through. It's a massive gamble. I think that's the trouble at the moment. With You see teams like, like Trolley Designs, KTM in America. They sign so many young kids to like a deal and it takes them into a professional career that they're pushing riders out that are like the established pros that can earn them the podiums and the wins for these kids that are fast for a lap like they've grown up and been fast all their life and it's like they get there and it's like well he just injures himself in supercross injure himself again again and then they're out of a ride and it's like well who's the next one it's like just a like a cutthroat way of doing it instead yeah. of like some teams pick up a rider develop them and become like a really good pro because they're given patience and time to grow up and go through the stages and be that way whereas like the teams that get rid of them fast you just think oh what a waste of money it is on them kids uh, you know we all, we've all kind of um we love what goes on in, in the u.s and stuff like that and one thing which obviously we, we would, would love to see one day which will never happen um unless someone's just got endless pockets of money is kind of that system within the uk so yeah. the uk at the moment um were you in any youth teams coming up coming up through my first year i did nationals with like I said, in 2006, we had a, it was actually Ben Watson's dad. We did an RMR racing, which is Rob Meek racing at the time. Yeah. And we had like a really good team. It was me and Ben on the 65s. There was uh, Nathan and Daniel Hutchinson, who don't think he rides anymore. No, but they were small I wheels. I think he gave up a few years ago. Yeah. And then there was like rider. Mill Ward, Ryan Watson and Matt Moff on the big wheels. And it was like the first sort of, look into an amateur team i guess it was just a startup yeah. and that was a really good year obviously it was my first year so i was learning everything i didn't know, didn't know what to do and things like that but it was good yeah and then after that i was really just on my own like through the amateur ranks which i think it helped i swapped around with people helping me and quite a bit but there was always like a few companies that i stayed with and 
built a relationship with and that was really good. So well, was... one thing I, I we're kind of chopping and changing through questions, but it's kind of things which come into my mind. We were talking obviously just a minute about ago about Americans and, and yeah. the impact of social media and stuff like that. If, if you if you notice that over because you're only twenty three, so I'm I'm yeah. forty four. So I've been doing digital for twenty three years now. Okay. So I've been doing digital for as long as for yeah. as yeah, long as, as, long as, as your, your lifetime yeah, lifespan. You know, I did I kind of not grew up with digital, but you have. So digital was kind of, you know, at twenty one there was there was really not that much digital. Google was only you know, invented in ninety seven or released in ninety seven. So gives you a bit of an idea. So Looking at that, did you see the benefits as a young kid or a young person coming into this and using social media? Or do you think you were a little bit too old? I think I was just past it. Okay. I, had, I was on a 250 when Instagram came around and things like that. Or I was very late on an 85, I think. And it was sort of the young, like younger people than me. They've sort of reaped the benefits of it. You see, like now, like young kids have got like endless amounts of followers and you think, well, like how? how? <laughs> yeah. Like are they buying them? Are they yeah. have they got good posts or what? But yeah, you know, I think my age have had to learn and like put posts on there that people want to see and learn what actually companies want to see from people and how they benefit from it and use it to their advantage to gain sponsorship and obviously coverage of them as a person. And there's a fine line between personal and professional. Like you've got to show like I feel like you've got to show some sort of insight into your life as a person and not just be motocross, motocross. Like, like every post, it's like, yeah, there's so much that one person can take. And eventually it's like, well, I'm sick of their posts, I'll just unfollow them. And it's <laughs> like, well, you've got to be different, haven't you? And that's why it's hard, I think. So have you, have you spoken to, because um, I know you get some help from CI Sport with yeah. Alpine Stars. Yeah. So have you noticed the benefits of when you're posting on social media? Have, have you noticed that companies have, have been more kind of supportive and maybe noticing that you're doing more and want to help you more? Have you noticed a, like a correlation between the two? Yeah, it's, it's more, well, it's not about results really anymore. It's about a mix. And obviously CI are a big company with a lot of followers and it's helped me promote them and them promoting my posts. And it's like a you help me, I help you situation. We both benefit from that, I feel like. And the more people that see the posts, the more likely they are to see, oh, if I wear a certain gear brand and look cool, someone might see that and think, oh, I might buy that. Yeah. And like, for me as a rider, displaying the product, that's good. Because like I said, Alpine Stars now, they seem to have grown up the past couple of years and like they're getting bigger and more popular the tracks. And that's good for me, really, like to see that. So it means that I've sort of done my end of it. Yeah. That makes sense to well, grow it. The whole idea, I guess, with, with sponsorship is that it's a relationship between um, the rider and the company. So they, both parties have to get something out. The, the, yeah. the brand or, or the company are looking to, uh, you know, get their product out there, reach awareness, and potentially more sales. Yeah. So the more that the riders and stuff like that can work with them. I mean, one of the things which has been a, a huge Bugbear. I think I wrote some uh, some posts on MX Vice called Social Scoop, where it was kind of just breaking down um, in layman's terms for people to kind of read and understand the benefits of using social media. Is do do you think people still got a long way to go? Like a rider's got a long way to go, or do you think they're actually starting to understand it now and the benefits of it? Some are, uh, some are definitely reaping the benefits. Um, but I feel like, like I said, the old, like not the older generation, but my sort of age group, we had to learn it. 
and see what works. And like, sometimes it can be almost forced. And I don't think they're the posts that companies want to see because it's just like, well, you're just doing it for the sake of doing it. It's like, do you really think that's the best product? Like, do you really think that, or are you just posting that because they want you to? And I feel like with Alpine styles, obviously when I first moved onto like boots, I'd never used their brand before. And I'd been in one brand for so many years and it took the first day I wore the Alpine style boots, I was like worried. Am I going to be able to do it? <laughs> and like, yeah, how's my, my first, ride? Yeah, yeah, yeah. How the am first, I going to ride in these? The first couple of sessions, I was missing turns, couldn't feel my brakes. And then after that, it was like, like, wow, like they're so comfy and like the way they work with the inner boots and things like that, they're just good. And now I don't think I could go back. Yeah. Because they're obviously a good product and they work. Yeah, I, I had um, uh, sort of grown up in, in for years. I had City, so I yeah. used City for a long time, and then I switched to. I couldn't afford back probably. Uh, I think it was about know, twelve years ago, maybe twelve years ago. Yeah, I think it was probably around. Yeah, about two thousand and seven. I bought a um, Suzuki, and I can remember buying a second pair of Alpine Star Tech Tens. Yeah, uh, off of eBay, and um, obviously they were worn in, so they were super comfortable and everything else. But the last few years, you know, I've gone out and I've bought. A tech 10 and i was lucky that alpine stars have, have helped me out with um a new pair now but the difference is is phenomenal and i i just can't see me wearing another boot at the moment however i have got um some more to try so i think i've got a pair of liat the new liat boots which are coming okay. i'm really interested now in now i've kind of got to this age where i've been so set in my ways with like wearing arrow helmet or city boots yeah yeah. And now I've like wearing a Tech Ten boot. I'm actually I don't know why, but I'm really interested in understanding the differences between yeah. um, the clothing. Yeah. Because obviously, for a rider, you you kind of get that you always stick to something. Yeah. You get your comfort level with them. That's yeah. It. Yeah. So um, I can completely relate to that with boots. And yeah. uh, like I literally I've just gone from an Arrow helmet to an Alpine Stars helmet. And we were yeah. talking before about my ears are quite big. So um, putting the uh, Alpine Stars helmet on, I found, I found a little bit tight, but then you just told me that there's different settings in there. Yeah, so it's like the adjustable shit. liner. It's yeah. quite a big selling point, really. And I'm sure It's a game changer. Like, I'm sure, <laughs> to, I'm sure <laughs> you didn't know it. Yeah, yeah so uh, we're going to play around with... Yeah, uh, that yeah, sounds well. a bit bad. We're going to play around with my helmet after. Oh, so <laughs> <laughs> uh, I miss Lewis. Uh, <laughs> I'm joking. So... It, we've kind of talked a little, you know, quite a few different things so far, which I did warn you yeah, that we do, yeah. we do top and change. So literally coming through, you've done the U Franks, you've kind of like, you've kind of intimated before that you, you've kind of been down that road with paying for a ride yeah. through the years. You've kind of seen both sides of the benefits and the, and yeah. the negatives. What, what is the benefits and the negatives about paying for a ride? Uh, less stress. You don't have to organize as much. Yeah. Um, the year I paid, was with SJP and it was a really good team to be honest. We were got on well, like we were friends before, still friends now. And it's like it just was too much for me at that age. I didn't appreciate the position I was in. Yeah. And like I said, I well, I didn't I appreciated it, but I put too much in and put too much pressure on myself that I just couldn't perform. And it just in the end it buckled me really. I didn't I didn't do well. And then going back out to like the the difference of being on your own there's no pressure there's no like like you're not expected to do anything and yeah it's just it's like a different world and some people thrive under that environment and i obviously didn't at that time and now i think looking back obviously it was really good they were organized they had good bikes 
everything looks perfect from image wise and very professional, but the stress of doing it on your own, obviously you have to do a lot more to organize that and yeah. get that in place. But yeah, there's, there's definitely benefits to both of them. Um, See, I, I've got this, I don't know if you agree with it because we've not spoken about it, but I've kind of got this opinion that I don't see a bad thing in paying for a ride because other sports do it, like Formula One and, and everything else. Yeah. And also, I, I've had kind of a, a long talk with like schoolboy dads and, yeah. and, and that type of stuff. And it changed my mindset because when they, they said to me, right, okay, James, how much is a bike? So, okay, uh, 250 bike is seven grand new. Yeah. Right, okay. You need probably three bikes, two race bikes, practice bike, and then you're going to have to change a practice bike after so many hours. Da, da, da. Okay, that's 21,000. Yeah. I'm like, oh shit. Okay, oils, kit. So kit, four grand maybe. Uh, oils, running cost of the bike, parts. Then that's actually when I sit down yeah, yeah, yeah. and, and yeah, add it all it. up, I'm thinking, and, and this is me at, at my shitty level. We're, we're, let's not talk about my, my whole veterans junior class level. When you start talking about you know, a youth level, which is running top three. Yeah. Or you start talking about um, someone who's riding MXY2 and MX2. Then you start to think, okay, that's probably, am I, am I right in thinking that you're probably going to do 25,000 a year yeah. for, for, for the couple of championships in practicing? Definitely, yeah. Without, if you didn't factor in like help from people and things like that, you'd, you'd around about that figure, yeah. So if I was, if, so if, I, if my kid or if I was going to do this at that level, then I'm, I'm looking at a minimum of 25,000. But then I've got to source the bikes. I've then got to tune the bikes. I've then got to do the suspension. Yeah. I've then got to... It literally, with the buying the ride, it depends on your deal. If you arrange a deal with the, per, the team, obviously, and what you pay, and you can factor in, like, that's what I mean by less stress. Yeah. You pay that money, they do it all. Yeah. As long as they do it all. As long as they do it like, all, yeah. Like, I was lucky them... The people I was with did it all. Yeah. Like Steve and Leighton at SJP, they, they didn't mess around. Yeah. Like there was no like costs spared or things like that. So yeah. But even though the costs we were paying, but it was still their team and like. But you'd have, yeah. in a way, inadvertently, or yeah. well, not you, because you may have really good deals with say Murtashag in, in yeah. support with yeah. Craig's and stuff like that. But other riders who wouldn't have had the support what you had, and they're going into this with little support. Yeah. Yeah, I, that's where it's broke down the barrier of this whole paid thing for me. Yeah. Because I didn't understand that until mm. it was broken down to me by a f quite a few different dads and yeah, different yeah. people. And they said, well, what are you hung up on? It's the, you're going to pay that money anyway. It's the teams where you do that and you get a set of graphics. You get to <laughs> yeah. push your bike under the awning. It's like, well, what have you actually paid for? Yeah. Like, what is the benefit to that? It's, some teams do it well and some teams do it right. And others, I think they're just out for the money. Yeah. And that's the, obviously the difference with the school by dads. They've got to be careful about which one they feel like they have a relationship with. Yeah. Uh, it's just something which has cropped up over the years. Yeah, and, um, definitely. You know, I, I've kind of explored those channels because I think we're going to see this more and more in the sport. I, I think the way I'm, you know, the way that I've, been around sort of MXGP in the last sort of two or three years where you've got really good riders who cannot get rides. Yeah. Like we've seen with Max Ansi this year. Yeah. Max like, was very unlucky with his yeah. situation and years falling with contracts. I feel like you're a GP winner and you couldn't get a ride. It's like, well, in other years, he'd be signed as soon as sort of he became available. And like that was early. It was known by all the teams that he was going to be available and still he never 
never happened for him. And it's like, no. oh, like he's really good and he's won and he's got unbelievable speed on his day. And it's like, well, what happened? <laughs> so it's, but then you've got like other riders, I, I won't mention names, but there's other riders who are in the top 20 of MXGP. Yeah. And they're having to pay. Yeah. Yeah. That's, it's, it, it's, it pushes out the seats in the, in the, under the awning. Yeah. That's it. Well, let's take a break. Good to speak to you, Tom. And we'll come back with um, some more points and, and talk a little bit more about uh, your career and, and okay. where British motocross is. And, you know, literally, I want to talk about, you know, what it's like for British riders within the country. Yeah. But um, just on that note, we're going to go to one of our um, fantastic advertisers and we'll be back in five. Talon wheels have been iconic in the industry for over 30 years. Designed, built, and manufactured in the UK. Talon wheels, sprockets, footrests, and clutch baskets are used by professional riders like Jason Anderson, Zach Osborne, and Sean Simpson. Head over to www.talon-eng.co.uk for more info. You are listening to the British Motocross Show. Thanks to uh, our sponsors. Much appreciated. If uh, you didn't know and you were away from the first half, we have Talon. Uh, Even Strokes, which is a, a new uh, motocross store for Europe. It's uh, been set up by a guy called Tim Wadman. And uh, myself, funny enough. So uh, Tim was a uh, former One Industries uh, MD, One Industries Europe. We've set up a, a small business, you know, put our ideas together and, and, and see where it goes. And it's, uh, it's a really interesting startup journey. So I'll be talking about that a little bit more. We've got Moto Shack, DP Suspension and Craig's Motorcycles. So uh, they're the three uh, main guys or main sponsors behind our guest this week, which is Tom Neal. So Tom, one thing I've learned uh, since we've kind of been talking is that uh, you didn't just stay in the UK for uh, your racing. No, uh, like I said, my career peaked when I was on 85. I did a lot in Europe and a lot in America. I was lucky enough to go to America with Rob Davison having a house there. And I rode there quite a bit practicing and then it led to doing the Retters qualifiers and Minios and doing well over there. And then actually when I went to Minios, uh, I organized, well, KTM UK organized me to ride for a team over there. And it was, you were treated like a professional at such a young age. It was just different to here. And it was really good and to ride with people that are now at the top of the sport. Like Adam Cinderella won my group and now he's obviously at that point it's good to see well one of the cool things was i think it was uh on, on one of your instagram was uh cincerello literally whole shot in yeah about yeah. a bike length in front of you and you were literally must have been second on the start but yeah. you was already a bike length it's uh it's been a thing i guess in cincerello's career that he's always been known to have the best stuff and that was why he's winning but it's not he's just had that much talent that he did have the good bikes and things like that but you had to ride it and be able to control it and he obviously did did it well so one of the things which was i found really interesting was the the lineup so you had cincerello who won yeah. Yeah. Uh, who were the other riders uh there was chase bell uh brian shue uh faulkner mitchell harrison brandon hartraff there's endless amounts of people now that have in america or in world championships and doing good things so is it still kind of fresh in your mind, that whole experience? Uh, it's something I'll never forget, to be honest. It's probably my career highlight, I guess, doing it and even just being in that experience and in that environment. And yeah, it's, it was, it's just different level there, like the amateur racing. So, so on those results as well, did you get those at eight? Yeah, I did uh, 
there's two two parts there's a supercross and motocross part and i had an eighth a ninth and two tenths i think over the week and it was like overall so yeah it was good really good wow so um there's not many people we can say that they first rode against ac yeah. and also beat quite a few um, yeah. people like you, like like you did as well yeah. at that age yeah beat faulkner and brian shoe and Hardraft and like i said the quite big names now and it's like yeah it's good to know that at that time i was quite high up at that level yeah so what that whole experience in the minios in in loretta's it, it's kind of weird because if that was a uk guy going over there today it yeah. would be absolutely everywhere yeah it just like i said i missed the social media times and i never actually got to go to loretta's i qualified and i was leading the bymx at the time so i never went to do it and then I ended up getting hurt the same weekend as Loretta's and I ruined the British and ruined my chance to go there. And <laughs> obviously looking back, I wish I'd just gone and just Yeah. I mean that's that, that you know, we all you know, these things happen in life. I can everybody looks back and they're oh, if only I've done this and only I've done that. Is there sort of any particular times that you kind of look back and, and wish things choices? Yeah, my transition from an eight five onto a two fifty or a one two five. I uh Made a pretty drastic career move, really. I moved on to Husqvarna's when they were the old shape and owned by BMW, and I just couldn't ride them. I was too small, too little. What, what year was this, Tom? Uh, 2012. 2012. Yeah. So I wish I'd gone KTM 125 and followed the AMX route, and I think my career would have been a little bit different, to be honest. It, it ruined me for maybe a year to a year and a half, and then I ended up getting back on a Honda 250 that was loaned to me by Ben Watson. So it was like a... A mate's rates, you ride that bike, he had 100 hours on that he just ruined over winter. So, yeah, but still, it was way better than what I was on. So, yeah, yeah, and that was the bike at the time that they were all riding, and that's what I wanted to be on, but I couldn't financially. And it just, yeah, it was different. Do you think there's a real value in going from an 85 to 125? Yeah, I think looking back, like I've rode a 125 on like demo days now, and the skills that it teaches you is very important. Just being able to ride it and get used to that, like a big bike, but not a 250. Because when you're small on a 250 and it throws you around, it, it bites you and it hurts you. And as a rider, you don't develop the skills of carrying speed like on a 125 and changing gears properly and riding using the actual engine. Whereas sometimes you can get on a 250, get carried away and just use the clutch and it, it ruins like your style and how a bike should be rode properly. So you see a huge value in that. So if there's any kind of schoolboy dads or kids who are listening to this and they're on 85, maybe on the small side a little bit, thinking, Jesus, I've got to go from an 85 to a 250, you would recommend... 100%. Forget that. Yeah. Get yeah. straight on a 125. There's, even if you, even if you're a Honda guy or a Suzuki yeah. guy or whatever, then get a Yamaha 125, KTM 125 or it's, Swarna 125. It's, yeah, it's the fundamentals that you learn on them that changes it like going to a 250 is all right you might be faster but you're not learning and if you stop learning then you're not going to go anywhere yeah it's kind of a, a, a shortcut yeah yeah where you need to get those principles in that get it. that foundation first and then and then move forward yeah yeah i wish looking back now i wish i'd done that route is that what the other riders around you at the time did they go 125 or did they go straight 250 i was sort of in england everyone went on the 250 there was very few that went 125 and is that because I at got, the time there was classes which were yeah it was for that really when, rather than a one two five yeah when the elite youth cup was around the red bull it um there wasn't well there was a one two five class but it wasn't amongst the youth it was the next day 
and everyone was in the rookie class and it was like you were at a disadvantage if you didn't go 250. So people just went 250 and it, it just, I guess it hurt people yeah. more than what it helped. Some people anyway, some people adapted really fast. The guys that were bigger and stronger, they were fine, but I was quite small at that time. Me too. Yeah. <laughs> when I, I can just remember when I was sort of 13, 14, I could hardly think I was on an 85 or 80 at the time when I was about nine. I could I still have blocks. <laughs> and I was it, never at that point. Yeah, it was that yeah. bad for me. So I was always at a disadvantage. Yeah, yeah. I seem to have a growth spurt. The, the first year on a 250, I grew, but it, it, didn't, it didn't change the bike I was on at the time. No. Now, like, Husqvarna, I'm back on them. I'm back riding them because they are what they are now, the, the best bike, one of the best bikes out there. Yeah. But at the time, they weren't. <laughs> <laughs> so that was back in, what, 2012? 2012, you said, when BMW yeah. owned the company. BMW and... owned them. They were, they were trying hard and putting a lot of money in, I guess, but they just the development and things just were just behind. Yeah. We, uh, I had an issue with a bike, and I went to Italy to the factory in Road One, and I mentioned this, the, the issue in the the one of the departments and it was like like a bomb had gone off and they just shut the, shut down the tour of the factory and things like that and it was like i said the i said the issue and they were like yeah we're aware of that and that was the end of it oh wow <laughs> and then after that i think my dad then saw that i wasn't just making stuff up and there was a problem and you know after that was when ben lent me the bike ah uh, okay fast forward to uh to today okay Ah, actually, we were talking about Hawkstone. So, what, so, what, yeah. so, so this year, and we're talking about Hawkstone before the break, not on the okay. actual set yeah, show, yeah, just in yeah. case everybody's listening. What's your plans for this year? I'm doing the Maxis again, the British Championship, and then I'll literally just bounce around and do a mix between the rest of the championships in Britain. There's just that many that <laughs> I feel like you can double up on tracks too much, and it's like I'd rather just focus on the, the main British and... Uh, yeah, do what tracks I want to. Do you, do you not want to ride Fox Hills four times in a year? I do like Fox, I do like Fox Hills, actually. It's quite a good track for me, but uh, no, I don't, to be honest. No, I know what you mean. So the, the problem is, is there's a lot of championships at the yeah, moment, no yeah, variation of tracks. Yeah, it's, uh, it's diluted the series and the sport a little bit. Is that kind of echoed by anybody else, or is that just yourself who, who kind of feels that way? I did, what there's that too kind many. Of, yeah, kind of is that for like think, if you think, spoke to friends and they're kind of like, oh, here we go. We're going to, that is the to Link again. We're going to Fox Hills again. We're going to, to Fat Cats again. Yeah, I think that's a general consensus. There's enough tracks in England for them to do it. And I don't know why, like they miss out on some like really good tracks. Yeah. Like, it's weird. Like I know there's been complaints about the British Championship being all in Southern rounds this year, but we have a new track. We have a little silver back. It's yeah. like, well, I like Little Silver. Yeah, yeah it's, it's different. Yeah. And that's, that's like, no other British Championship's gone there in a while, so why not? Yeah. And, like, granted, there's tracks in Scotland, like Duns and things like that, like, they were a bit unlucky the other year with the rain and things, but... I think in 2012 or 2013, I went there, and they were right. unlucky again. Like, right. I don't know yeah, whether it's yeah. just it's always raining and, yeah. and fog there. I don't know, but <laughs> yeah, I'm sure that. it's not. And then, like I said, Whitby's close by me, and there was a Maxis there one year, and it rained, but... It doesn't alter the fact that the track's really good and generally people seem to like it there because it's fun to ride and yeah, it's, it usually gets quite a big crowd because it's, it's an area that motorcycling has been around that long. That There's a, of, a local contingent yeah, which yeah, will actually, it. if you don't follow motocross, they'll still come out on a Sunday and yeah. watch it. And obviously the Noble family are from there and yeah, James back in the day used to do really well in GPs and yeah, it's just a, an I've, area. 
I, I found uh, going back to the to the Whitby track. I, I can remember turning up there on like a Thursday for the MX Nationals, and just looking and thinking, "Oh my god!" And then I couldn't believe, literally, within like a day, or literally, the, the farmer came in, ripped the track, yeah, and it just looked like something else. It was yeah, just like, it's... "How the hell is this the same track?" It's I think it's the Noble family who actually yeah. do prepare it, and they know what they're doing. Yeah, I couldn't. Like, I just couldn't believe how it. It, it, it like I'm not being disrespectful, but it, it went from like uh, like a goat paddock, yeah, to literally like a, a British Championship track, and I'm just like, what the hell? But how am I even in the same place? It's because he knows how to leave the ground, yeah, and he knows like, like well, they were like, in short at time about yeah, the weather, yeah. They uh, they also they used to do a club meet in there, and the track was best on the club meetings because it was not overused, and the dirt was still fresh, and it was like start of the year or start of summer before the nationals had gone there so they'd rip it and it'd be lines everywhere and ruts and it was usually me and robbie dowson and do the club meeting and it would be like we'd both be like really fast but it'd be whoever had the biggest crash or didn't have the biggest <laughs> crash would win and yeah. it was one of the days and we were just it would just be swapping the lead of who was crashing and things like that and it's fun and it's like you can go and ride that track and that's it you only race there you can't practice there Believe me, I've tried to practice there many times, but <laughs> it just never happened. No. No, it's, just, it's a funny place. I went there um, once before with, I think it was probably 13, and uh, we put up some posters in a local town, and literally a crowd just turned up on the, on the Sunday. Yeah, it was crazy. A very weird town. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> Fish and chips good, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I feel like that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's an interesting, uh, it's an interesting um, position when you're kind of looking into uh, the championships and stuff like that as, as a rider this year when you I understand why people want to do the British championship because it still is the elite championship yeah, yeah. Um, and you want to do that because that's kind of where you're betting yourself against other people and pushing yourself but then obviously it's I can see why a few riders now are kind of like do I really want to go and ride yeah no. these tracks four three four times you know a year I know I know that's that, and I the think... same track same layout yeah same length for race it's like yeah. oh. Same people. <laughs> Again. Yeah, you know, you're not racing anyone new. No. It's all How are you going to improve? Riders. How are you going to yeah. push yourself? Yeah, it's, it's all the same riders, all the same tracks. It's like, well, can't the series is combine and maybe do more rounds and bigger prize money and different tracks and like a variety of tracks and things like that just to sort of mix it up. So from a, a rider perspective, I mean, yeah. so let's, let's break this down. You're, you're employed, you work for your dad. Yeah. So you work for a family business, you work Monday to Friday. You have time to train? Yeah, I work whenever I want, really. Okay. <laughs> I just decide if my dad needs me to do something, I'll do it. Yeah. Like he has a, a car wrecker's yard. So it's like I drive around in a pickup collecting cars. Yep. You know, like if someone rings, I have to go collect it. Yep. If someone doesn't, I don't. Okay. So... There's that, and then I also started selling, buying and selling commercial vans and things like that, which all can be done from your phone. So yep. it allows me to be at a track and still bid on an auction or be out training or doing whatever. And yeah, it's it's good. I enjoy it and keeps my keeps money coming in. I guess. And well, we so want money. Yeah, <laughs> everybody <laughs> listens to this needs money. So yeah. yeah, you're not on your own. You train through the week. Yeah, but not obviously nothing like a, a full time pro rider type thing. I have done years where I've been on that program and done stuff and I feel like it was too much for me yeah like I would put so much pressure on myself it gets the weekend and I'd, I'd either be tired or I don't know I just couldn't perform and there was that much pressure on me and like I said being in the team at the time it, it just didn't work and taking a step back I actually had a better year last year because I'd 
was more relaxed and things happened in my personal life. Like I met like my new girlfriend, Georgia, who was like really good for me and it's helped me. And yeah, I don't know. It's just calms you down. Yeah. There's not as much focus on racing. There's like your focus is elsewhere and you're racing for fun and the results seem to come easier. Because racing is not life. No, <laughs> no, <laughs> racing is not always life. No. Yeah. Motocross is not fun. <laughs> well, <laughs> it is when you make yeah, it fun. Yeah. That's the yeah, problem. That's when you put that pressure on you yeah. and everybody else is putting the pressure on you, then it, yeah. the fun goes. Yeah. And you see that with a lot of riders and it's like, well, think about it a bit more like intelligently, like step back and step like go back, one step back, two step forward sort of thing. Yeah. I mean, looking back at, uh, I think it was six years, seven years I rode in, in schoolboys. And um, unfortunately, I had one of those uh, schoolboy dads yeah, <laughs> uh, where, oh my God, the, the temper was just unreal. So um, my, my dad is basically, if you're not first, you're last. Right. If you went back to the van and, and you got fifth or a sixth, which to be honest, you know, I used to like to be in the TMX every, every week. Yeah, That's yeah. what they used to yeah. like, like to see my name in there. So I'd be quite happy with, with you know, top six and enjoying myself and having fun in my hobby. But Jesus, um, I've I literally, I see my dad drive the van off out of the field because he wasn't happy with my results so i'm there on my bike and my dad's just left the track <laughs> no my dad has never like that he's always been oh i've got more support i've got <laughs> well, i've got a whole lot more i've never experienced that so i can't <laughs> really say that yeah so um yeah the, my dad was a yeah a special one right um with um schoolboy motocross yeah so i've seen a lot of them through the years like, i can remember hanson dorset was the same time as a british championship race at farley and I went out and practice, and uh, it, it, it was going well. I was I got second in the first race, and I came back. He put the bike in the van and said, "Right, we're going to watch Farley." <laughs> so I'm not going to watch you wobble around a field yeah. in second. Yeah, he was. I've not spoken to him since right. I was 16. He's okay. he's now. Uh, I think I said on the previous podcast show he's the world hide and seek champion for the past 30 30 years now. I think in it, Rob. Yeah, he's doing quite well. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, so if, uh, if you're any schoolboy dads are listening to this, then um, just remember you're taking all the fun out of your child's hobby. Yeah, calm down. Yeah, <laughs> calm down, okay? So just remember that, um, you know, there's more important things than him winning or whatever. Just have fucking fun, <laughs> for God's sake. So this year, uh, so we might see Hawkstone. That could be yeah, an option. I have, I've, I've had a 450 over winter and time of the idea of moving up to MX1 but I feel like there's still some things for me to do on a 250 and I feel comfortable riding it more so I'll be I haven't actually entered yet but yeah I'll be looking at going Hawkstone on, on MX2 bike again and trying to pull the same starts as last year really yeah. just be a bit more we're there. expecting whole shots yeah yeah for some reason people don't like the inside gate at Hawkstone and build a nice dirt pad for me to go on there and they're giving you secrets out now yeah well well, they've, they've, got, they've got to get it on the yeah, inside yeah. gate first, aren't because, they? Yeah. <laughs> it was very like nerve-wracking thinking. Yeah, I'm very inside here. It's a long, weird angle, but when yeah. you come out in the position I was, it was like, wow. Did, really what, what, what did you think when you uh, came around? Because I think you were fourth on the first lap, weren't you? I was uh, second the first lap ah. and then fourth for a couple of laps and yeah. then the anchor came out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, was, I was just sprinting. Like, yeah. I didn't have their pace. heart was racing. Oh, yeah. yeah, I could see Sterry in front of me for about three turns, and I was like, "Right, we'll go with him." Yeah. And then uh, I think I think Olsen passed me, and then Ben Watson passed me, and I was like, "Right, we'll 
go with them. Yeah. And then after that, I was like, shit, I'm not good. <laughs> but it was it was good for them laps. Uh, I really enjoyed them laps. It was yeah. probably the highlight of the day and it got people talking about me. So Nah, it's great. I thought yeah. you looked really good out there and you didn't look out of place. I no. think that's the thing which I said about on the podcast. I felt it. <laughs> <laughs> you might have felt yeah, it, but you yeah. definitely didn't look it. Right. Yeah, and that is really cool. And I, I guess that's the, the, the thing, is it? You kind of, that was the first race of trying to have fun. Yeah, yeah. Just uh, that was literally last minute entry again. Um, I just decided to do it that week. I was riding well the week before and thought, yeah, we'll do it and then see where we're at. And obviously it didn't look good from someone on the outside, but for me to stay with GP riders was a big thing. And I think it helps your speed when you ride with in that situation. Like, like I probably dropped further back than what, well, I actually dropped further back in the first race than the second race when I didn't get a good start. Yeah. It was like, I was just done after that sprint. It's Tired. very hard to recover. And not surprised. Whereas if you get a normal start and it's like, you, you put, pace yourself. Yeah. Yeah. You, I put myself out there in the first one and then I didn't in the second one. And it was like, well, I'm pride myself on being quite fit off the bike and on the bike. So it was a bit weird to fade like that. Um, like sorry to interrupt but was that where you seen like the intensity of yeah, that running it. at just, that level yeah. I just could not keep that intensity the, that's where obviously them boys are trained to do it and they've got that skill or speed and do it and they give me an insight of it but to, get, to actually see it and to get there is two different things okay that's real interesting um, insight because you know I'm just going back to my time at Cheddar yeah, yeah. and uh, getting back on the bike again and back to Kawasaki on the, on the Tingri <laughs> Green, yeah. I'm unofficial team green. Okay. Uh, they'd, they'd like to make it unofficial. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm still pushing for official. But no, it's, I'm just joking. But, but it's the same thing with any sport, isn't it? If you're playing semi-professional football to you're playing yeah. professional football, it's, it's that step up where that person you're playing against, you're playing well for 30 minutes, and, but they carry on. Yeah, that's it. And that's, you're like, that is the difference. I'm like, done. Yeah. <laughs> you see, like, there's levels to everything. And, you're, the riders you see crashing, I feel like they've they've got a speed level above of what they're capable of. That's why they crash. Yeah. So like, you can run that speed for so long, but you either fade or crash. And it's like you're not going to learn that speed level unless you get put in that situation. And after that, it was like I seen that speed level, and then after the week after that was, I think we had like three weeks before the first British, and being out in the week. I trained with Justin Morris a lot and it was like he was putting me in them situations where someone would be chasing me down or I'd be chasing someone down to try and get the race intensity practicing is one of the hardest things to do and that gave me a, a view of where I needed to improve and what I needed to do and I feel like I did a little bit like the, the weeks after that I was really like motivated to improve my speed and He's like, I didn't show up fat cat, but, which is a shame. because uh, I, was, I was there at fat cat. And my... to be honest, you could have worked um, for three years in America uh, on your speed and got to fat cats with that yeah. the rain. And oh my God, if, unless you were there, you I can't know. explain it. How that meeting ran, I don't know. They did well, to be honest. To even no, they done really well. Hats off, because yeah. when I turned up, I was Neil like... Neil and Martin are really good with that track. They, they helped me out and I ride there a lot and seeing it in that state like on our second race the sighting lap it was snowing sideways and it was like well how are we going to race this like i, I come in change my gloves because my hands were freezing and it's like oh. i literally turned up the car park is is waterlogged so yeah. i'm thinking this is this isn't going to be on no and then you get there and yeah like i said it was how they managed to run that meeting that day is, yeah it's is, really i good. still don't i still don't have full credit 
Yeah. But it looked like an enduro. It looked like a yeah, survival. It was. It was more survival than race. There's some guys obviously did really well in it and some didn't. Well, we've seen the emergence of Jake Millwood. Yeah. Yeah. In yeah. that race. I think um, everyone else saw the emergence of Jake, Jake Millwood. Yeah. But, yeah. <laughs> the, like our conversation before, it, as soon as he got on that bike, his speed and everything was shown. And it's just his bike skills that high that put him on a good bike and he does what he does. And yeah. everyone else saw that. And I've rode with him through winter last year and become like good mates. And to see that was like good because it was almost like a relief for like everyone else to see it. See what you could yeah, see. Yeah, see what we see in a week. And it's like, well, there you go. Yeah. And, and is that a mindset thing or was that down to just I don't bike? think it's a mindset. I think it's Jake's bike, yeah. He okay. was on that bike. He's at home on it and he had the power. And he's really small on it, which is... Which shouldn't work. No, but that's where everyone was confused by it, thinking, oh, is he going to be able to ride it or not? But yeah, the skill, obviously, and talent that he had, it, he managed to do it fine and really well. Well, I can remember kind of, I can't remember who, who was talking about it, but they kind of put that down to the conditions. Oh, uh, he's just going to go out and crash. Da, 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 da. And he proved him wrong. Yeah, definitely. And, and he came into that round with an injury. Wow, okay. Yeah, he landed on someone in Belgium, like the couple of weeks before when we were over there and he had a wrist injury at Hawkstone. That's why it never showed there. Yeah. And obviously he fixed it for then and went from there and showed people that ended up winning a race at Blacksall was obviously a big accomplishment. And yeah. Good for him. So expectations, have you got any expectations for this year? Uh, is, there, is there stuff which not putting pressure on yourself, but is, are you kind of saying... I think I'd like to run top 15 in MX2 or top 10 in MX2. Or... Yeah, I'd rather be top 10. I've had a, <laughs> I've had a, no shit. Yeah, <laughs> a couple of races where I was inside it. I had this qualifying times in, I was sixth at Hawkstone. So it was up there and things like that. And just staying more consistent, to be honest. I, I got a bit carried away at Landrake. I probably, my speed and everything, I come from last in both of them and I should have been way higher. Like, yeah. That was the only race. I love that track for some reason. And it was the only race where I felt like I could go forward. Okay. Like usually you get a start and then you're like in a battle with the two or three people around you. And it's just that race. I felt like I could pick people off. And yeah, just like I said, the last round I was going all out and it never happened. But in other rounds, like I used to hate Hawkstone. And now it's been my best round and best track this year and or last year. And yeah, now, I, now I'm looking forward to it. So. When I, when I looked back at some of your previous previous results in championships and stuff, uh, one thing I noticed is that you seem to be consistent. Sometimes, yeah. I've uh, in previous years I've had a lot of bike issues and crashes and just been overall shit and giving up. But I thought like it's sort of turned around now, and it's like a different, like I said, a different mindset. And it's like I don't think that anymore. And it's like I have confidence in my fitness, so push forward, I guess. And this year has been my best year consistency-wise and speed and yeah. results. So hopefully it keep trending that way and we'll get inside the top 10 more. I had like three overalls, I think, where I was inside it. So. Yeah, I think, I don't know if it's the MXY2 results, but one thing which I, I, I noticed was that you just seemed to, uh, whether you felt you, know, you, went, you was yeah. inconsistent or whatever, but it seemed to be that you were on the, I seen that you had a kind of, you know, a few rounds and I'm sure you'd be able to say, yep, uh, DNF on that one, yeah, da, 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 yeah. that type of thing. <laughs> But one thing was for sure was that where everybody below you seemed to just be super inconsistent, but you seem to just be tallying at the points. Yeah, that's, that's where I've had to try and change and try and push myself more to get out of my comfort zone because 
I don't know, it's different. You can do that if you're riding at like 80% for the year and you might not show that sort of flash of speed or whatever. And this year it really changed at Canada Heights because I got like an okay start and I ran sixth for ages behind Martin Barr and I was like, well, I felt all right there. And I ended up crashing. I did, well, maybe half the race and I crashed. But yeah. it was like, to me, it was like a, a realization that actually, well, I can run that pace and I'm fine with that. So yeah. And then the round after that, I went seven, eight. So it was, so there it we was go. good. Yeah. Ah, cool. Is there any kind of races you kind of looked at this year? I mean, we were speaking a little bit before and about the things which I want to, I want to achieve just like being an old guy and yeah. the, the, the boxes I want to tick off. Is there kind of like, now you've got that bit of freedom where you're saying, okay, I'm going to ride the maxes this year. Yeah. And then I'm just going to pick and choose, you know, if I feel like I want to race this, this week and I fancy that track. Is there any other tracks which are outside the norm? Like, if you if you thought about actually, I might go and do a French championship, or I might go and do a Dutch championship, or yeah. I might take a week off and go to America and <laughs> just have fun, or yeah, I did uh, I did a mountain bike race this year, and I really enjoyed that. To be really? honest, really, yeah, yeah, okay, it, the, it was really good, and I'll probably do a couple more to be honest, because it's still fitness and you're still learning bike skill. But as far as racing wise, I'd love to do an AMA. Really? Honest. Yeah, I'd love. I'd, I thought about it a few times and like, I wondered which one, but I don't know how, how I'd go about it, but obviously it's a dream to do it. And yeah, I don't know, maybe the freedom of just doing the Maxis, it can free up something where I can do it. Yeah. But as far as, I'm a bit strange, like riding in Europe, I don't seem to do as well as when I go to America, it seems to be, suit me a bit more. Maybe it's the track, so. Yeah. Well, let's, uh, let's have a little break. Okay. We're going to listen to one of our advertisers and then we'll come straight back and we'll talk a little bit more about that. Talon wheels have been iconic in the industry for over 30 years. Designed, built, and manufactured in the UK, Talon wheels, sprockets, footrests, and clutch baskets are used by professional riders like Jason Anderson, Zach Osborne, and Sean Simpson. Head over to www.talon-eng.co.uk for more info. You are listening to the British Motocross Show. I hope you guys are enjoying it so far. Thanks to our sponsors once more. I'm James Burfield. In with me this week is uh, Tom Neil. Hey, Tom. Hello. You enjoying it? Yeah, it's good. <laughs> bit nervy to yeah, start off the with, hey? Nerves are starting to wear off now. I'm getting a bit more comfortable, but nah, it's good. Like when you're on your 10th or 11th time, you'll be yeah, fine. Yeah, yeah. I, um, I was only supposed to do two shows. <laughs> I'm not even supposed to be doing this, so um, I just can't seem to find anybody else. Yeah. The the show this week is obviously brought to us by um, Talon. Are you using the right wheels? Uh, can be. You can. Oh, there we go. <laughs> we need to sort that out. So uh, Talon's actually 45 minutes down right. uh, down the road from here, so we have very yeah. close links. They supported MX Vice since day one. When everybody else was like, who the hell are these guys? Rob Sarton from Talon was just like, yeah. Yeah. I've used, I like I've you. Used we're in. in the past, so. Yeah, I think SJP, they were sponsored yeah, by Talon were, yeah. as well. So. Um, yeah, we need, to, we need to sort that out. Okay. Definitely need to sort that out. Talk. Yeah, we'll talk, we'll talk off. Yeah, I'll take you for some food in a minute and we'll talk Talon. Um, yeah, and also Even Strokes, which is a European motocross store. So uh, it's literally just added Alpine Stars to Yoko Fast House. And I think we've got uh, One Gripper. I think Troy Lee's a little bit later. Crikey, who else is coming on? Seven. There's loads of brands. Like the phone's going daily. New products being put on me. I think there's Recluse, Talon, lots of really cool brands which are going on there. So um, if you've not checked it out so far, go to evenstrokes.com and there's usually some deals and bits and pieces on there. And uh, keep a lookout for it. It's a little startup, hoping to get big things. Also, we have Motoshack, D 
DP suspension, which we've already clarified is a dynamic performance. <laughs> so this is Rob Davidson, which I can't believe he's come up with the term dynamic performance. I definitely add DP down as something else. And also Craig's Motorcycles from Dewsbury. Yeah. Those guys have been supporting you since you pretty much got into motocross. Yeah, they've always been like a, one of the biggest, closest shops really. And Aaron's really good to me and with bikes and parts and everything. And it's my go-to, I guess. He's, he's one of my friends as well. Like we see each other out of motocross, if we're mountain biking or whatever. And yeah, he's really good to me. Very, very cool. It's always good to have good people around you. That's what makes things a little bit easier. So on that note, British Motocross, talking about making things easier. What's your take on it? Because you're obviously your rider. You, you watch, yeah. you watch yeah. the American series. You've, you've been a rider. You've come through the ranks. You've obviously seen how much money you've got to put in and the investments and everything else. Is, is there things what you'd like to see change? I would, yeah. I think uh, they've got a little bit more going for next year with uh, running the, the BYN alongside it. I really like the last round, to be honest. It, it brought a lot more like, eyes on it. Like, I feel like when it's separate events, the, the kids coming up, they don't see MX2 and MX1. So they think that it's like, it's special or it's they don't show up to that event just because of the stigma around it being a professional event. When in reality, it's just a stepping stone for your natural progression to come off a, a rookie class if you're winning or at the front and you go into MX2 and that, I feel that's why the numbers have dropped. But when they run the events alongside one another, the families see it, the riders see it, they realize that, hang on, like my lap times are similar to theirs and I can run. I can maybe get points and like the when I first went into it, it was like a really prestigious thing to get a, a Maxis point or a British point. And it I got one point in my first year and I was over the moon with it. But uh I was always around that twenty to twenty-four range and now the the range is there's only twenty-four people in it. And like <laughs> to see the numbers drop's quite like upsetting as a rider, because obviously you want your sport to be big and grow and have more people coming in, maybe the prize money goes up and things like that. Like it's better to be competitive rather than having 20 people on a gear and it looks a bit, well, you want it to look professional and a full gear. And I feel like having the youth riders there, some of the rookies might say, right, I'll wildcard that round because I like that track or yeah, it's, it's good. And I think the steps in the future would be to have like one championship, like stop separating everything, just come together as a sport and grow it together sort of thing. And have one solid championship. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, I think there's a lot, of, a, lot, a lot of people now which kind of, you know, see this and they see kind of how the Dutch Masters and, and the French Championship and there seems to be a lot of, you know, France seems to be going through something at the moment with, you know, from what I've learned f within the industry, France outside of America is probably the biggest place for uh, expenditure on yeah, um, products and, and, yeah, talent. They've got the Supercross Championship. Obviously, they've got the weather, they've got the land and, and, and you know, all these things. but. Still, they've got people who are on bikes and want to watch um, bikes. Yeah. And, and the interesting thing is that with the depth of, of talent that they still seem to have coming through with the UK, it, it, I, I think it, this is a, a strong move by everybody involved with putting the kids and the, and the adults together on the same weekend because those yeah. kids now have got somewhere to look up to That's and actually understand that path. Yeah. It's a natural progression. Like you see with GPs doing it with the AMX 125 to 250 to MX2. It's like, why can't we do that? Just on a small scale in Britain and show that like 
there's somewhere to go. You, the end of the line isn't the rookie class. You don't need to stay in rookie class until like when Lewis rants about 18-year-olds in rookie <laughs> class. It's, it's yeah. like, just move up, see yeah. what you've got and do MX2. It's not, it's not a special event or group. It's just a race. And like, if you're good enough and you're there, then just race it. I feel um, the other thing as well is I think we've been spoiled a little bit over the years because looking back now at, um, remember when they done the, the British GP and it was the festival of motocross Yeah, and we had like five days or four days yeah, of, yeah. of basically amateur riders being able to ride Matley. Yeah. I mean, yeah, how freaking lucky were we? Well, that track in itself, just to ride that place is pretty special and the dirt, the jumps just, and now, well, so I did it this year with an EMX and it was probably the best track I've ever rode. So looking back, if a kid, as a kid, if I got to ride it, I'd be like, probably a bit scared, but you, you jump what you want to jump, don't you? you yeah. You have a level. So. But that's how you, yeah, guess you, that's that's how how you, you get better. There's GP riders, which basically turn around and, and love. They look forward to that track being, if the GP riders get excited about it, the yeah. kids coming, coming through, we want them to, to be learning yeah, on, the, on those types of tracks. Like that track is like the epitome of like England, like, like flowing hills and like green and like scenery and it's like well good dirt and it's if that's like what we have as england as our spectacle and like it's a pretty good track to have it to yeah. be honest and i feel that's why there's such an uproar this year when it wasn't on the calendar but now it's back so there is ticket prices um i know there's been early bird offers there was another offer last week i mean Guys, when it was actually taken away everybody moaned and everybody complained i just hope that everybody who moaned and everybody who complained actually picked up the tickets for half the price of what you would get on the gate, you have no excuse not to go and support that race. No, you can't give it a big one online and then not turn up. <laughs> exactly. It would be quite nice to see Matley evolve as a, a British championship track with the kids in, in the youth. I think, well, like I say, we were, we were spoiled with the whole festival of motocross, but in a way that could be a very, very good event with youth, uh, a British championship round, youth as well, and run it as a bit of a you know, maybe a day for amateurs as well. I'd love that to be in the British calendar, to be honest. I feel like with it being such a track, it could be like a, like a British final, like the final round or something. Like, like hype it up, make it big, put yeah. it everywhere. Like, but like to do the GP, but for the British. And yeah. It's a good enough track to do it. Yeah, it's fantastic. I mean, you know, obviously Steve Dixon would have all the answers of all the questions yeah. that we're, and he'll say, James, there's a reason why we don't yeah. do this. And we thought about that and, and everything else. So it'd be really good to get Steve on when, when we can uh, ask him about all these different uh, hypothetical questions, which we can come, and come, up, come up with and Steve deliver the answers because he really does understand what it takes to put on. But those are the, you know, those are the things which, which I've seen. In, and I know last year is, it turned into a bit of a disaster for me because I did try to do an academy for the UK. And yeah. um, I managed to get some funding from my um, ex-employer. And however, um, that didn't come through, which was one of the reasons why I, I, I moved away. <laughs> uh, I think that's the, the most amicable thing I can, I can say. But it's a real shame. And it's something what's needed, I think. Within. Yeah. You've got Justin Morris, who's, yeah. who's doing a very, a really good uh, academy. And it's, I, I think, you know, it's affordable, it's sensible, it's you know that type of you know and then you've got rmj who are doing a very good academy for, for the young kids coming through um but that's it yeah there's no there's yeah. no seems to be no acu approved academy the coaches i know like paul carishaw we used to have years ago he's full-time job now because he couldn't make that you know he not like he could make it work it was just he wasn't supported yeah. so you've got there's no infrastructure anymore there's no, no 
no structure to these young kids being taught the right way. It's weird as well. Back in the day with the ACU Academy, like you said, what Mark Hucklebridge used to run with, he used to pick like the sort yeah. of the up and coming riders in each class and like, like why can't we do that anymore? Yeah. Like surely you, the one of the coaches or all of the coaches or someone can get together and say, look, this is what you do and this is how you do it. If you want to do a, a European race, these are the licenses you need. And because when I've had to do that in the past, it's been like, I've just been winging it. Like I didn't know what to do. I just, yeah. Like you can't, there's nowhere to go to find out how to improve out of Britain. It's the French Federation. They're the ones that, have, like you said, they're emerging and they're helping their riders. And you go to a, an amateur world championship or the, the rounds and you see they have their own, like, they bring like on a like a GP style truck, and they have all their own French shirts, and it's like it's a it's a federation. It's them lot all together, and they're all improving as a group, training together and improve. The interesting thing is, is uh, every GP there is uh, someone from the French Federation there for the riders. Yeah. So any French rider has an issue, you know, wants to know a question, anything. There is a French representative in full French uh, motocross clothing you know walking around and is there to help the french any french rider yeah and that's that's the way that's why you see people like vial and people coming up like they've got people in the pipe like kids in the pipeline ready to go and next position like next ride next yeah. ride like britain is struggling right now and there's a couple of kids that are coming through but like they need to be shown the right steps and the right ways to progress into the sport and be a sort of well-known professional so for those uh riders who are thinking about riding the emx 250 this year i can remember a couple of years ago everybody's very excited they do hawkstone they're talking about they got a new kit they got a new bikes you know i've been training all year super excited i'm super fast and then they hit that emx 250 first round and they don't qualify you know you've been there seen it yeah. done it what do they have to look for what, what are the things they need to think about when hitting that EMX 250 qualifying for the first time? Uh, they need to be really, really good at one lap speed. <laughs> yeah. That was like, obviously, that's the thing to qualify. And I feel like I was more of a racer. I, I never had the one lap speed. I've not really had it ever. But the EMXs are that difficult and close. And it's within seconds from first to qualifying, like to the qualifying boundary. And it's like, you need to be really good on your laps. And then you need to realize that if you do get through, some of them kids that have put down that lap, they can't do it for the race. So you don't need to lose your head and do that. And some of them are really good at one lap and then they can't race. So it's, but they qualify. But they've qualified. And they're getting and the experience. Yeah, and they took like <laughs> maybe someone who's just missed the spot or who can race really well, but they've missed it. Yeah. You just need to be ready with your one lap speed and you need to have a good bike to get a good start. and just put yourself up there kind of looking back on it because you're not doing emx 250 um next year because you've aged out now haven't you yeah i'm 23 now so uh so advice for people coming through how, how do you get that in how do you work on that intensity for that one lap speed what like knowing what you know now is there certain stuff that you've been taught by working with coaches and trainers and talking to other pros is it, how do people attain that one lap speed what do you do now to, to put um, in practice i think practicing your sprints and just pushing yourself to the point of where you think you might be at your limit and then trying to go that bit more. You know, like if you're doing a certain lap time and you feel like you're on your limit and you, you need to go more, 
that's it. You just need to push yourself without obviously crashing and hurting yourself or just you need to practice that, practice your sprints and do it that way, I think. Because it's a long way to go to yeah. ride for 30 minutes yeah. <laughs> and not qualify and then have to sit out for a weekend. Yeah, I've wasted a lot of money trying that. <laughs> <laughs> but, it's, but you have to do it to, yeah, to, yeah. to progress. Yeah, yeah it, It's it. a chicken and egg situation where you, you have to put yourself out there. I've, you know, over the, the years of having MX-5, I've seen so many fast British riders which just can't seem to, to get the whole European thing right. Yeah, it's very hard to do as well with... Because EMX 250 is a very difficult class, it's usually the most popular class at a GP. And it's obviously that you... Now the age rolls in, it's a bit different. But before you had, like, the guys who had, were older and were really good, and then you had the younger kids coming up. So it was, like, such a stacked class with different people and different riding styles and things like that. And it's, like, now the age rolls there, it's, it's pushed a lot of older guys out, like, see, with Pocock and people like that who were really good in that championship. Now he's out, obviously, but yeah, it's different. The young kids, they're not scared to do it for that lap. And obviously, some of them are on factory teams with good bikes, and it's, it's very hard to do. Yeah. No, it's, it's, it's something which uh, is, is kind of, I can't, you know, that's why you have to speak to people like yourself who've been yeah, there, you've yeah. done it, and you know that, you know, what's needed and what you have to work on. So I think for anybody who's listening to this, yeah. whether it's a dad or a son or somebody who's looking to do EMX 250 in the future, it's just good for them to have an understanding of what's expected. Yeah, I'm one for six. I've qualified once and not qualified six. So, so you know how it feels <laughs> for the oh, once, yeah. and you know how it yeah. feels for the yeah. for the uh, further six times. Yeah, it's it's yeah, it's different. What's the furthest you you you? What's the furthest way you've gone and not qualified? Uh, Trentino. Trentino. So, yeah, Arco was probably the furthest, but you got to go to Lake Garda. Yeah, so yeah. That's a plus. The thing was, the thing was, uh, me and my dad literally got a camper. And Germany, Teichenthal was the week before in Germany. So we did like a, it was like a European tour. I oh, guess. awesome. And so we stayed, rode Germany and I missed it there. Teichenthal, I love Tuchentau, that track. Yeah, it's a really good track. And then we did like a week of just campsites and I found a random private track somewhere and wow. we just had to leave money in a box just to ride. <laughs> and it's, I don't know if I was meant to do that. It was yeah. all in French. So I just left some money and rode and then went and. Yeah, we'd spent a couple of days at Lake Garda. So we made like an experience out of it rather than just going to do it. It must and, be pretty cool spending time with your dad and, yeah, and doing stuff yeah. like that. I think that's something which is um, people don't talk about. It's like no. those experiences of a family. Like I, I really admire Rob Holyoke and his family. Yeah. For, yeah. for years, they've done the two-stroke championship and, and literally traveled, to, you know, around yeah, Europe. You, you get to go traveling and like, it's like normal person's holidays to go to Lake Garda. Yeah. Whereas we get to go and do a race as well. And it's like, well, you start combining the two and you get an experience and you're making memories like with your dad and like, it was good. Yeah, cool. So most important thing in the podcast, I've been told about your um, knowledge of the American Supercross series. So I thought it'd be only right if, uh, no, I haven't got a quiz, so don't worry. But I thought it was only right if you we... want. <laughs> yeah. Where's Lewis? Yeah, where's Lewis? <laughs> so um, he's going to be seething that we're talking about Supercross tonight. <laughs> really, is literally. Uh, why, why are you bloody talking about Supercross yeah, when he, I'm over he, here? He gets to go. So it's yeah. So um, did you enjoy last week? Yeah, I did actually. I've, um, I watched qualifying, went to sleep, walked back up for the heat races, and then stayed up for the main. So I don't know. I just, I feel like watching it live is like a different experience that like you don't go on Facebook the next morning and see the results and spoil it. So yeah, it's like, I, I can't do that anymore. You get to anymore. watch it live and it's like, well, 
very with it being a one as well it's very like a prestigious event it's probably the most watched round there is and yeah it was good nice so so who, who did you pick going into into 450s and 250s who did you think i actually said during the day when I was watching practice, one of my friends messaged me and said, like, who looks good? Because I bought the pass. Yeah, yeah, me too. I yeah. bought it. <laughs> and I did say Cincerello and Barsha look good. But I really thought uh, Roxham would come out and win, to be honest. But yeah. he had quite, um, like, a disappointing round, I guess. Did he, he say arm pump? Uh, Tomac was arm pump. Oh, Tomac was Roxham arm pump, was, yeah. uh, His bike was too hard, but... Oh, that's right. Yeah. It's different uh, yeah. settings, yeah. Which, yeah... I know he's had issues with his arms, and if it if it affects it, then it affects it. And yeah, he just has to deal with it. He's done well enough to get back to that level, so it's impressive to see him do it. And for me, I'm a big Adam Cincerello fan, having raced him and seen him go through that. Not many uh, people could say that. No, and uh, <laughs> like the ups and downs of his career, and him like coming back, and the way he got over Las Vegas when he lost the championship was to come out like two weeks later at Hangtown was something as a rider is very difficult like put that behind you and all the stress and the things he lost with that championship and then come out swinging at a championship that he's never been in contention for really and it was good and then obviously moving up now into the 450s he's there was a lot of hype and i don't know if he monster cup was a bit of an anomaly with half the field being there and people not being prepared and things like that but then to do it at a1 and obviously bash has been putting in the work as well to come out and struggling all last year or well, with injuries and things like that and get it back up there is it's weird to see them two at the front when you don't expect it no i watched interesting i watched barisha at geneva and paris and uh he did look good and he was riding a stock bike yeah at the event so it didn't surprise me it surprised me to see him win but then he's won it the year before so yeah i don't know it did it or didn't it? I, I think he's very good at handling pressure. Yeah. I think he's a rider who uh, thrives under it and obviously performs when he needs to. And it's his contract year, so he needs to perform. He and, needs to perform, yeah. Yeah, seeing he come out swinging like that, it's a good start to the year. And, and he took the opportunity. Obviously, he had yeah, the cra- crash yeah. and then Cincerelli crashed and he took the opportunity and, and you know, made it stick and, and won. But I, was su- I, I had AC down to win. So when it yeah. start, when he when he took the lead, I was like, oh, "Yeah, I, I was, knew it, I knew it." I called yeah. this. I put it in the MX Vice group. AC is definitely going <laughs> to win. I had Roxon second, and just after what I seen and what I, I I know from talking to to Malcolm Stewart and the people around him, I had him as third. Right. So I don't know what happened or yes. or what went wrong, but it just didn't come together from the start to you know to the main. So. I think he just put that one down as a... I don't think we we never seen what I seen, the speed what he had at Paris and stuff was I think, crazy. Uh, I think Malcolm's a big opportunist. Like if he has a good start and he has ridiculous amounts of talent, it'll go with anyone. But to come through that field takes a lot. And yeah. The only real person who did it at the weekend was Cincerello and the group that was Baggett and Webb at times and they were just picking people off and it's like, well... Obviously, they've come in prepared and taken advantage of the ones who sort of struggled or didn't have that that fire on that night. I did um, chuckle to myself when they first interviewed Cooper Webb, and you could it was like, yeah, yeah, it was like, oh wow, like, yeah. yeah. I mean, I have man flu, and when I have man flu, I'm it's you know, it's touch or go. Yeah, but then so to watch him come out with that and and still bag a respectable. Yeah, I think it 
having been so bad in practice and <laughs> yeah. having the illness. I think it took the pressure off him a bit. Coming in as like a defending champ, you looked at all the eyes are on you and then him getting ill, it was like, okay, maybe he gets a pass for tonight. Yeah. And then when you come out and get third and on your bad day, you get a third. It's like, that is how he's, you win. he's definitely yeah. How are you going to win championships? Yeah. yeah. But obviously, um, not like we're here to analyze, but I was really disappointed with Tomac. I think he's trying to back it down. I think, I think finally, like, he's not going to, hopefully not have the race where he throws it away and throws the title away. Like, you can still do it from the seventh that he had. Or, yeah. Like, Webb started the year last year with a fifth and then caught fire and that was it. And Tomac's that type of person who can come out next week and just clear off and they won't even see him. And he's the type of rider that can do that. And to have that speed is really impressive. Yeah, I was... I mean, I didn't, I didn't call him in the top three. I, I mean, a second I thought was, uh, was Roxon. Right. He did look a little bit off the pace and yeah. from what he said after, kind of clarified that. I mean, he just made a mistake with the settings and he just couldn't get it right and, and so on and so on. But he has been looking really good and I, I, I kind of thought that he was going to do quite well. I think since he's done his arms, he's way more particular with his bike and it's obviously in his head about it. And yeah, it's, he struggled with it and... That was that. It's, it's different when riders obviously not blame the bike, but say they could do this and do that. And you wonder if it's like, can they, or are they just saying that? And like Barsha was saying, he mentioned it multiple times that he's been the test rider and he's done a lot. And obviously it showed, but he's gone back to a stock bike, like you said. And he was actually, I don't even know if we're allowed or it's out there, but he was at Fat Cats and yeah, no, I, like I see some pictures yeah, yeah. before. And it was Which like, I thought that was really cool. So yeah, maybe like that's a, his a, way of taking the pressure off. Yeah, on like a full standard bike and you're riding around a deep sand track and you've got A1 next week. It's like you couldn't get any different to what you need to be doing, really. But no. he's obviously not the type of person that is like that and he rides for fun and maybe that's Maybe that's what it is. He seems to be happy, settled. And yeah, yeah. To, to, for someone to go out at Christmas and ride yeah, around Fat Cat, they've got to be doing that because... Especially because Fat Cat in a winter is it's rife for people crashing in front of you and getting injured. A lot of British riders get hurt at Fat Cats. And yeah. It's like some people think they're an expert. or I don't know if Justin had his own session or whatever, but it's sometimes dangerous for yeah. people who are going fast around there and people who aren't that capable. Well, uh, quite a few uh, GP riders have been taken out around uh, Lama 1 practice sessions yeah, before, the, yeah. before the season's even started. So. Yeah. yeah, but whatever he done, it works. So maybe yeah, a cause... lot of Americans need to, to get with a fat cat. Around <laughs> uh, about sort of... A1 prep. Yeah, A1 prep at fat cat. Um, I think Martin could be onto something there. Yeah. <laughs> maybe have a word, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> Was there any surprises for you? Barsha winning surprise for you? I think how good and how strong the whole like field is like when you look down the lineup i think there was like 15 like 16 of the riders that won a 250 title and it's like their other four riders were like just in brayton and like established pros it's like to get into that main event is obviously something really special and to have a 250 title behind you is you're obviously really good yeah and to see the riders that didn't qualify and it's like, like wow they're big names and they're in the lcq and it's like, yeah. you don't expect that and that was the surprise for me, along with the speed and the way that the top two were able to pull away. And like they just dropped them pretty much. One, one thing I was going to ask your opinion on, mm-hmm. um, and I can't obviously ask uh, Lewis about Chad Reed because he used to have his duvet cover. 
So he's going to just be, you know. <laughs> no, I was a Carmichael fan. <laughs> so one thing which I was thinking of was, um, you know, Chad Reed, we all know, it's his farewell tour. He's in his yeah. last year. I think there's like VIP tours, which are, you can go on, there's $1,300 and you can hang around with Chad for a day. I'd pay it yeah, just to yeah, hang yeah. around with Chad. Yeah. And, you know, just, it'd be great fun. I'll just hang around at the after party with him. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, we're there. But would, if you were a rider, would you do what Carmichael done and went out on top? Like, and maybe, like, he probably still had three or four years. Yeah. But he wouldn't have been on, on top. Would you have done what Carmichael done or would you do what Chad's doing? I think I'd do what Chad's doing just because Carmichael seems to like, he's, he, he disappeared and then he's come back. Yeah. Villapoto disappeared, they've come back. It's like Reed's gone out slowly and like, you've seen like, he's obviously got his legendary status of what he's done in the past. And now yeah. it's like a, like his farewell tour it's like a goodbye and thank you to everyone and it's it's yeah. good to see a rider do it and obviously the career he's had is unbelievable and like all time really when you think of the riders which have come and gone yeah yeah in his yeah. It, i kind of agree because i think it's another thing that he's already been there seen it done it yeah won it i think he has over 250 podiums as well and that's it's either a main event start i think his main event starts actually yeah his 250 main event yeah. starts was to qualify for a one and it's like well that's quite and it was close at the time you've been in the lcq it's like are, are you not going to qualify on your 250th yeah and all the races he's done and the years it's good and obviously the the lights class yeah so um justin cooper looking good yeah and also good. frandis just there there again i think them star bikes are very impressive and think it's well known throughout the world that they're obviously fast and handle well and showed when Cooper obviously stepped up. He's got a really good average like podium to start race starts as well. And he's a rider that I think will thrive on the confidence of winning because I think he's not cocky, but it's just confidence. And he had that, the way he opened up the heat race, going straight after Faulkner and putting him down. He didn't really do it aggressively. He just made it stick and, I think it, I don't know if he's trying to send a message or just, just be like, look, I'm a contender. When he came in with Ferrandis and Faulkner, it was like the battle. Yeah. And he's definitely put his name up there. Do you think Faulkner are banks back for now? Or was that kind of a mental blow to him that? I think he'll be able to bounce back. He's too, like, he's got too much speed behind him. You did beat him, though, Tom. So yeah. I think we, we've got to put <laughs> yeah. this into uh, perspective that uh, yeah. you are a very valid person to talk about this. Yeah, yeah. true. But... After beating him on an 85, Austin who? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I didn't have to cut the track to do it either. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, with the, uh, like, looking forward to uh, St. Louis this weekend, do you think it's going to be, what top three are you going to pick for, for 450? I think Tomac will win. Tomac? Um, yeah. I think Tomac will come back. And then I think it'll be Cinderella and then Webb. And then Webb. Yeah. Okay. I think, I think, uh, I think AC will get a start again and Tomac will run him down and then Webb will just come through. He's just like, he's sort of taking on the role of Dungey, the same team, mechanic, trainer. It's like, he's going to be there every week. Okay. And he showed that last week. So, yeah. He kind of knows what, what he needs to do to, yeah, yeah. to, to win that. And yeah. then I think Faulkner will win the 250s. You think Faulkner's going to yeah, win the 250s? Yeah, I think it'll be Faulkner and then... Randis's starts are just too inconsistent. Yeah. He just, I don't know how he can be on that bike and not do it when Cooper's whole shot and everything. Yeah. It's not, I know he's a bigger guy and he's definitely got speed advantage over everyone. I just don't know if he can 
come from that far back in such a race where the the margin of speed difference is not big enough. Like if he starts fifth and Cooper or Faulkner out front, they can put like 10 seconds on him by the time he even gets there. And it's like, well, you've got a lot of work to do if you want to catch that if up. If you want to do half a second yeah, a lap. Yeah, that's yeah. it. And obviously it's a lot to do at that level. And um, knowing what you've seen, so obviously it's very, we're going on one round. Yeah. But who do you think is going to be there in the end, 450 and 250? My title pick is Tomac, to be honest. I think he's finally going to do it. Really? I, yeah, I hope, wow. he, I hope brave. he does. Yeah, and then uh, I think it'll be a close battle between him and Webb. And then I think it'll be Barsha, Cincerello, someone in that position there. And then next year, I think you'll see the real, like, I think Adam will step up and come through and dominate. Yeah, I think so. Oh, okay. And what about um, East and West? Um, well, West, I think Ferrandis will still get it done. Yeah. He needs to, obviously, to back it up and get a good 450 ride. If you're the, t- if you're the champion one year and you don't win it the next, it sort of looks like you, you haven't backed it up. Yeah. So you need to back it up to get a good ride and get the money. And it's a big year for everyone next year. I think there's a lot of contracts up. Yeah. So there'll be a lot of moving rides. and Both in MXGP and AMA. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it seems to be a weird year where everyone sort of will be jumping around and bidding miles on people, no doubt. Yeah. And then East. Do you think Sexton will do it? I'm not sure. He seems to. I don't know if he has the speed. He seems to be like fast and sometimes anyway. And it just seems to have weird mistakes or weird, not very good starts. And I think Jordan Smith will be fast on the PC bike. He's obviously in previous years, he nearly won it the year he crashed in Vegas. And then I think RJ Hampshire will be good as well. Yep. Putting him on that bike. He seems to be, he has a lot of speed. He just crashes. And I feel like a steel frame would. Help him in that. <laughs> okay. So that's probably one of, one of those guys. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Okay. Um, well, first I want to thank you because you've probably driven, what, four and a half, yeah, five hours? four and a half hours, yeah. yeah. Uh, down to the center of the universe, which is Midsummer Norton, uh, where this yeah. is based. <laughs> <laughs> you, I don't even think you've seen Midsummer Norton, have you? Uh, not this town itself. I've been no, to Ch- Cheddar's the closest I've oh, been. Oh, so. Cheddar, yeah. yeah. Oh. You'll find me in cheddar. <laughs> Stomping ground. Yeah, yes, yeah, right. Fantastic track. But just want to thank you for, yeah. for coming down. You're always welcome here. No, and um, it's nice to open up the, the British podcast show with uh, yourself. Yeah, I appreciate it. I know I'm not high end of the British, but I feel like hey. my knowledge is quite good at sports. So. I don't know any other rider who's been on and has beat Austin Fortner. <laughs> so uh, let's, yeah, yeah. let's just work on that. No, thank you for <laughs> this and thank you for the opportunity. Great, and good luck for the rest of the year. Thank you. Helen Wheels have been iconic in the industry for over 30 years. Designed, built, and manufactured in the UK, Talon wheels, sprockets, footrests, and clutch baskets are used by professional riders like Jason Anderson, Zach Osborne, and Sean Simpson. Head over to www.talon-eng.co.uk for more info. The British Motocross Show. The